Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, Mother's Day, a very special day. Uh, if you uh, are a woman, you should feel special today. I uh, often reflect on my mother on Mother's Day, and uh, as far as a mother is concerned, I would say that I was a rich man, uh, maybe the richest man in the world. She was an amazing mother. Um, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about a little bit of our life um, later on in the message, but I would just say I didn't have a father for most of my upbringing, and uh, had a mother who had to kind of double down, become strength. And, and nurturing, and uh, she did that very well. She more than made up uh, for the deficit that we had. Lost her about 10 years ago in September, and I wish I could say Happy Mother's Day today. And so I would just say to you ladies, you have more of a profound impact on our lives than maybe you realize. We're watching, and you're influencing us towards Christ. Um, I believe that I would only, I'm only half the man I would be today without my mother. So for all of us who have our mothers and wives today, I would say take the advantage today to honor them and to love them. Um, we never know when God's going to take them home. And so um, do that today. We've been in the series of the book of James when I'm up here, and so we'll continue that today. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to read you a story, and then uh, we'll get going, all right? Men who trap animals in Africa for zoos in America say that one of the hardest animals to catch is the ring-tailed monkey. For the Zulus of that continent, however, it's simple. Uh, they have, uh, they've been catching the agile little animal for ease for years. The method the Zulus use is based on knowledge of the animal. Their trap is nothing more than a melon growing on a vine. These, uh, uh, their, their trap is done more than melon growing on a vine. The seeds of the melon are a favorite of the monkey. And knowing this, the Zulus simply cut a hole into the melon. Just large enough for the monkey to insert its hands and reach, uh, reach the seeds inside. The monkey will stick his hand in, grab as many seeds as possible, and then start to withdraw it, but he cannot do it. His fist is now larger than the hole. And the monkey will pull and tug and screech and fight with the melon for hours. But he cannot get out of the trap unless he gives up the seeds, which he refuses to do. Meanwhile, the Zulu sneak up and nab him. So here you have a very agile monkey that's very hard to catch until you figure out what his kryptonite is. And his kryptonite is melon. Cut a hole in it, he puts his hand in there, grabs as many seeds as possible, and now he can't get his hand out of the melon. Of course he could if he let go of the seeds and he could get his hand out. But he just will not let go of his grip on the seeds. And really, it is a sticker price of his greed that gets him caught. He cannot free from the trap unless he gives up his seeds. It is a sticker price of greed. Have you ever been there? Where greed comes back to haunt you? Where it comes back to get you? Today we're going to look at proof of greed in our lives. We'll look at two ways that show us that we are falling victim to greediness. We'll look at the evidence of greed in our lives and what it leads to. You will see how greed looks in your life and what it can progress to. We will ask the questions, who says I'm greedy anyway? And so what if I am? And for that, we'll be in the book of James. 
Turn your Bibles to the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you're visiting us today. Maybe you're with a loved one, a mother. You can uh, take a Bible in front of you. Open up. First, second, or third page. You'll see a little index there. Look for the book of James. It'll give you a page number. We'll be in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James chapter 5. First thing we're going to look at is uh, greed evidenced by wasted resources. What is the evidence of greed? The evidence of greed is wasted resources. How do I know if I'm greedy? The way I know I'm greedy is if I have wasted resources. Look at verse 1 in James chapter 5. Greed evidenced by wasted resources. Come now, you rich. Weep and wail for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have become rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up treasure. Pretty deep, right off the bat. He says, listen, you rich people, is the idea. He doesn't call them brothers. He's probably not talking to believers here. He's writing to a church, and he's acknowledging that there are some rich people out there with a different value system. They're not rich believers. They're people who are not believers, and they have money, and they use their money and influence and power in negative ways, and he's, and he's recognizing that. In fact, they may be your bosses, is the idea. And he's saying, he's almost speaking out to them and saying indirectly, hey, you guys, you know what's coming your direction? What's coming in your direction is misery and distresses. And the idea really is that, that judgment is coming upon you for the way you've handled yourself. And really, it's God who's going to deliver that judgment towards you. That's what he's saying. Probably not talking about believers, but he's giving a warning. And their indictment is they store up wealth for themselves. Now, again, he's talking about two different people groups. He's talking to believers who should have one value system, and he's talking about a different people group, non-believers, who have a completely different value system. And he's saying, this is their value system. Don't be like them. Let it be a warning to us as well. And so he says, you're storing up treasures, verse 2. Your riches have rotten and your garments have become moth-eaten. Uh, the way that you would... Uh, um, be able to surmise wealth in those days would be three things. One would be precious metals, not unlike today, gold and silver, okay? Another one would be costly garments. That would be another way that you could surmise somebody is wealthy. And the third one's simple, food. If you, able were, if you were able to supply food for yourself and others, that would be another way you could surmise wealth. And he's saying that your wealth is decayed, your clothes are even moth-eaten. And the idea is that you have so many clothes, you have such a, such, a, such, such a wealth of co costly clothes, you have to store them somewhere. You, you, you store them in a place that they've been there so long that insects come in, moths come in, they lay eggs, and now there's holes all over all your clothes. And so here you have all this wealth of clothes, and when you store them away, it's just wasted because they, the wealth isn't put to good use there. The moths take over. He says your gold and your silver are rusted. Uh, it's really interesting. We know that gold and silver don't rust. Uh, steel rusts when, when water is accumulated over time, but, but gold and silver don't do that. So what is he talking about? Gold and silver do tarnish over time, though. Uh, you ever have like a, a gold coin or a silver coin, and you put it somewhere for a long time, let it be there, let it sit there, it idles, it just collects, and all of a sudden you have to come back and polish it? And he's saying the, the tarnish there is like rust. 
because you've taken all your gold and silver, you've hoarded it for yourselves, and you never used it for God's glory. You never used it for his plan. And so the tarnish there is as rust to you because you didn't, on, you, you didn't jump board, on board with God's values. Instead, you took your own values. Rather than use the wealth for a good purpose like feeding the poor, uh, you used it for the virtuous cause of feeding your greed. And then at the end of verse 3, he kind of gives the verdict. Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the, day, is in the last days that you have stored up treasure. The rust itself, the uselessness, the waste of the resources will be testifying against you. And then he makes this statement, it's in the last days that you stored up treasures for yourselves. And it's the idea that you're in your last hours on this earth, your last hours of life, and you know what you're doing? You're collecting. You're still collecting. As if it could go with you somewhere. You're collecting. We are in the shadow of Christ's return, and you are out with a metal detector trying to find more. Even though it doesn't go anywhere with you. And you can look back over centuries, and pharaohs and kings would bury themselves with what? gold and treasure and silver, right? And the hope was if I die with all this gold, maybe it'll go with me. And you know what happens? People today still excavate looking for that. You know why? Because the gold and silver didn't go anywhere with them. The wealth stays here. And it'll be the same way with us. It's not going anywhere with us. No matter how much we accumulate, we'll hand it down to our kids and they'll waste it. It can't go anywhere with you. And what he's saying is, don't be like the people on the outside, people who don't know Jesus Christ, who hoard for themselves. Of course they will. They don't know Jesus. They have no other value system to live by. Of course they would do that. We believers shouldn't be doing that because we have something else to live for. We have to live for God's purpose. And ironically, if your treasure is on earth, you'll receive it on earth, and your reward will be judgment. If you store up treasures on earth, you will experience the result of that treasure on this earth, but if you store up treasures in the afterlife, you'll experience those treasures in the afterlife. Luke says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. He's saying, hey, I know there are people out there who don't know Jesus and use their power and authority and their riches for negative means. But just know this. I recognize they're there, they're, they're there and there are misery and distress is coming upon them. Let me just st stop here and let's say one thing real quick. God does not hate rich people. I don't want you to get that impression that God somehow hates rich people just because by virtue of the fact that they're rich, he hates them. Uh, we, uh, I hate to say this, but we, everybody in the room, whether how poor, however poor you feel, you are rich, okay? All of us will eat three square meals today. We will all go home tonight and, and, and have uh, shelter over our heads. And if you don't, let us know because we can find you shelter. I mean, we are rich, Okay? We, we, we have everything. Now, we, we feel like, you know, sometimes we have all these debts and all these things that makes us feel crunched, but we're living better than most of the world. So we're in the rich category. And God doesn't hate rich people. In fact, in the book of Acts, we see rich people in the church. Job was rich. He's one of the richest men in the, in the Bible. 
All right? He was a righteous man, according to the Bible. And the book of Acts, you see these rich people selling their houses and their land and, and their property. And why? They come and sell it, give the money to the elders in the church, and the elders disperse of it. And they say, you know, we see people that are less fortunate than us in our church, in our community. We want to give you this money, elders. You guys disperse of it so we can help. If we didn't have rich people, that wouldn't happen. And God is not against rich people per se. He doesn't hate rich people per se. He despises the action of hoarding wealth. He despises the, the attitude that says, I want to let wealth rot with me. I'm going to keep it, hoard it, build it for myself, and keep it inside. It's for me. When one day you will die, and it will go nowhere with you. He despises letting wealth waste away. Now, you may be here, and, and maybe you're visiting with your mother or somebody like that, and you think to yourself, wow, this is so different from everything I've ever seen and heard. Ever since I graduated college, I was heading for one place, and that was success. And how did I determine success? I determined it by everything I could accomplish for myself. And if you're here with that attitude and you don't know Jesus, I would just tell you we would expect you to have that. Because you have no other value system to live by. But us believers have a different value system. Everything that God has given me, he has given me. It is his. I'm stewarding everything I have for him. I, I'm on a different plane. I'm on a different, uh, I'm on a different path. I, I live life differently. I'm not living life for myself. I'm living life for God. I'm not in tune with what I want for myself as much as what I want for God's glory, for his kingdom. I'm here for him. That's what I'm trying to do. And until you come to Christ, you're not going to understand that. So step one for you is to be like, wow, that's different. And two, will you embrace Jesus Christ? Because if you do, and I'll tell you more about that later, how you can do that, all your priorities will change in your heart. But if you don't, I have to be honest with you. There will be a day where you stand before the great judge and he will ask you for about your priorities. And my question to you is this. What will you say? Matthew 6, 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Church, I'm just trying to sell you something you already know, which is this. Our goal should never be to hoard wealth, to hoard it, uh, to, to let, it, let it go wasted with us. Does that mean we shouldn't be responsible? No, of course be responsible. Please be responsible. Please plan for the future. Please plan for your retirement. All those things, yes. It's okay to take a vacation, but I'm not hoarding it for myself and keeping it for myself with no purpose. When God gives us excess, we desire to use it for his glory. That's the difference. And we have got to pass this test or we are no better than non-believers who have similar priorities. Yeah, I... I told you I'd tell you about more about my mom. My mom and uh, my father and my mother divorced when I was nine because he had an extreme mental disability caused by uh, a brain tumor. And so 
um, the court was going to take us away from mom if, if she didn't, didn't part ways with him. And so that was hard. Um, obviously, he wasn't working and didn't have any income. And so we kind of have a single parent mother with two boys trying to grow up. We lived in Richmond and San Pablo, virtually every town in Richmond and San Pablo. We would go from place to place, apartment to apartment. Sometimes we'd get lucky to be able to rent a house. And we would go from place to place because we would find out that the place we went to that we thought was so nice actually was very dangerous. And so we would leave that place, go to another place. Oh, look, this place is going to be better. And guess what? That place was dangerous. And then and we finally got to one where we're like, this is like we've hit the, like the big time, you know, east side apartments, right? You know. And all of a sudden there's a criminal on a roof and a helicopter with a light shining on it <laughs> and 40 police cars. And we thought we better move. <laughs> and so that was my upbringing. And um, being that we grew up in such a bad area, my mom tried so hard to put us to private school because she was so scared of the area, which made it even tighter. Um, have visions of my mom weeping over bills on the kitchen floor in the fetal position. And I couldn't do anything. But then I have memories of a mom who would walk in shoes with holes in them. It's not just a story. I saw the holes in her shoes. And she would do that so she could buy me a mitt so I could play baseball. Never saw her in any fine clothes. You see, because she bought all her clothes at the second-hand store. Why? So she could write me a check so I could buy a jersey so I could play on the basketball team. She would give up her needs so I could have my greeds. What a wonderful picture of a non-greedy woman she was. And that's just a couple stories that go on and on and on, and I'm sure you have your own. I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but ladies, it seems like God has given you such a gift, that nurturing, loving side, where it just, you don't even think about greed. It's just like you just naturally love, naturally give, naturally serve, naturally selfless. And when you're functioning in that, it's beautiful. And you have more influence over us than you know. The men are watching. Your husband's watching. He'll never say it, but he is. Your kids are watching. And we are in awe of it. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. And you're modeling exactly what we need to see, and that is how to combat greed with selfish, selflessness and service. Thank you for showing us the way to Christ. And where does this type of greediness lead to? Where, where, where does this greedy heart lead you to anyway? When somebody has this priority of greed, where can they end up? And this is our second point. Greed evidenced by dishonest gain. How do I know if I'm, a, if I'm struggling with a greedy heart? Do I ever uh, progress dishonestly? Have I lost my character in the uh, race of, of trying to achieve? Grieve evidenced by dishonest gain. Look at verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mold your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting 
has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath, or the Lord of hosts, literally. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wants and pleasure. You have fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man who does not resist you. And so we see first the evidence of, uh, greed evidenced by wasting of resources, and then the progression is greed evidenced by dishonest gain. It's a picture of this employer abusing his employees. You might feel like you're living this right now. Uh, maybe you feel like you're sitting there going, I, I, for some reason, keep on getting passed up on the, uh, on the promotion list. I've been here longer, I work harder, but the boss's buddy seems to always get there, and I can't. Maybe there's a bonus that you weren't qualified for. Maybe there's some wages that haven't been back paid to you yet. And the question arises, do these injustices fall on a deaf ear when it comes to the Lord? And the answer is absolutely not. In fact, the very coins that they're withholding from you are, the, are, are crying out to God. And God sees the injustice. These cries hit the Lord of hosts, and literally that the idea there is he's the Lord of the armies. And he will vindicate and validate those injustices one day. James is probably trying to encourage the people in the church who are being abused by a rich, non-believing type person who uses their power, their influence, their wealth to keep the laborers down. And James is saying, wait a second, don't you worry. God sees it all. And one day he will right every wrong whether you've been mistreated, whether there's something unethically going on at work and you can't do anything about it, but when it finally comes out, you'll be scapegoated. Whether the promotion, whether they pass you up on a promotion, God sees it. And he's got your back. And the sovereign God of this universe will right every wrong in the end. Do you know that there will be no unsolved murder when it comes to God? It may be unsolved on this earth, but God will right that wrong one day. They'll, he will avenge every successful malicious plan. He will solve every unsolved mystery. He will make things right. And so why do they cheat their workers? Because they have a heart to continue uh, their greed. They have a heart to uh, continue to live their extravagant, self-indulgent priorities. And their greed causes them even to degenerate to the point of theft. That's what the outsider looks like. Somebody who doesn't know Christ, that's what they look like. They have nothing else to value their life on besides themselves. We as believers should never look that way. Because we value Christ. We value God. This is all his kingdom. We should never look like that. And so it's a stiff warning on us too. Because if we do look like that, then what in the world's going on? It even says that they, uh, they fatten themselves to, on their day of slaughter. The idea is just like a calf is, is fattened and gorges itself every day. Why? So it can be slaughtered. Why? So we can eat steak on days like today. Mother's Day, right? These guys are fattening themselves, and they don't even realize it, but they're headed towards a slaughter. And finally, he gives them a charge of murder. 
Now, there's much debate. Is this a figurative murder or a literal murder? Figurative in the sense that, hey, you know, uh, you take somebody's livelihood away. In that sense, you're, you're, you're causing murder on them to be able to live their life. Or literal in the sense of, no, they just literally murder or, or, or frame somebody in murder or use their wealth to get out of the court system or however that works out. Directly or indirectly, they are murdering. And we're seeing a progression from stealing to murder. It's a heart of a greedy person. What will happen to those who manage their wealth according to their greed rather than to God? What will happen to those who manage their, greed, their wealth according to their greed rather than according to God? They will be dealt with on the day of judgment. They will be dealt with on the day of judgment. It is the sticker price of greed. What will happen with those who manage their wealth according to their greed rather than to according to God? They will be dealt with on the day of judgment. It is the sticker price of greed. And again, it's hard to imagine any believer acting like this. This idea that I work for me, I progress for me, I cheat for me, I do anything I can to get ahead, that it's all about me. That sounds like an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And if you hear you go, that is me, man. I, I thought that's how you get ahead. We would like to introduce you a God who created us all. And once we do one thing wrong, we don't deserve to be next to him. We don't deserve to be in heaven. He can't be in the same room with us. And he could have allowed us all to go to hell or he could do something about it. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross and live a perfect life that we could never live. And he says, if you place faith in Jesus Christ, I'll give you credit for his righteous life and he'll take the punishment for your sinful life. And you can have eternity with him. It's free. You just need to believe. But I would say to you, put on your seatbelt if you do that. Because when that happens, all of a sudden, the Bible says he regenerates you. He changes you from the inside out. He makes you a new creation, a new being. Everything changes. You have new priorities. And all of a sudden, I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for this God. And every decision I make in life is, how does this fly in accordance to the plan that I have with me and God? I want, I want to live for his kingdom, not my own kingdom. That's what happens. And it changes you from the inside out. And yet... You as a believer can still fall in the quicksand of greed. And it could be deep. You do think, you're doing things now that you never thought you would do. You're, you're compromising your character for the sake of the dollar. Whereas 10 years ago, you had these dreams about how God could, if he prospered you, how God could do these good things through you. Now all your dream, dreams are self-entitled. You've developed a reputation for yourself where you're shrewd and inefficient and dishonest. And you need to repent and fall back in the arms of Jesus and he'll wipe you off and set you back on the righteous path that you should be on. What will happen to those who manage their wealth according to their greed rather than to God? They will be dealt with on the day of judgment. It is the sticker price of greed. You see, it's kind of like one of these things. It's kind of like a snow globe. You ever seen these things? You shake them up and they snow. We got one on the screen. We'll put them on the screen, but you can't see this one. You shake it up and it snows. And around Christmas time, you, you, uh, you know, you go, they have these things out, and they're really cool. They, they, you know, I have Christmas trees, they have lights everywhere, beautiful Victorian homes. They kind of depict the perfect life. You ever notice that? You might sit there and there's like 10 of them. How do you pick the one you want? You pick the one with the life that you want, right? I mean, look at that. That's like my favorite Victorian style right there. It's just beautiful. Everything in it is perfect. The, 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 the homes never need to be repainted. 
You know what I mean? Sometimes there's cars or buggies in there, but there's never dirt on the snow. It's always white snow, you know? There's kids, there's, sometimes there's ice skating rinks, and there's kids skating, but nobody falls on their face. Yeah? There's kids walking dogs, and, and, and they, but they don't even need a leash because they don't run off, and, and they don't bark at anybody. Nobody's scared of them. They never pull or tug. And there's no poop. The dogs don't poop. I mean, it's just like this perfect ideal setting, the perfect life. And we buy them and, and, and we stare at them sometimes. And, and why do we do that? Because we idealize and we dream about the perfect life. What life would be like if I had that life? That's what my goals are. I want that. If I could just get there. You know what I mean? It's the, uh, it's the Victorian house, the car, the boat, the RV, the timeshare. It's the, it, when you have all those things, it's the second car, the bigger boat, the, the nicer RV, the, the larger timeshare. It's the 1,500-square-foot house, and, and then it's the 3,000-square-foot house, and then there's the house on an acre, and it just progresses and progresses. If I could just have my dreams inside this globe, if I could just get there, get to the globe, and God is standing outside saying, this is not my plan for you. This is, not, uh, this is not what I have for you. This is not it. This is the temporal, and I am the eternal. This is the temporal perspective, and I need you to start looking in the eternal perspective. This is a drop of water in the ocean of time, of eternity. You'll spend 80 years there, and that's it. I want you to start viewing things the way I view them and stop viewing them through this way because this way is fruitless. It wastes. It doesn't mean that you can't have a house or a car, all those things. But my goals, my heart, I have a different direction, a higher direction. I'm not thinking on things below. I'm thinking on things above. I'm not living for my own kingdom. I'm trying to make God's kingdom happen. It is the temporal perspective versus the eternal perspective. And when we're living in greed, we're living in the temporal perspective. What happens to those who manage their wealth according to their greed rather than according to God? They will be dealt with on judgment day. It is the sticker price of greed. You know, I talk about my, my, my mother and her selflessness, an example of not being greedy. My wife is the same way. I often joke about how we can have someone here, it doesn't matter for what organization, if they need money, whether it's in Romania, Philippines, Spain, whatever, she's ready to give all her money to them. In fact, I'm convinced if, if she had a checkbook, she'd just write a check. And so I don't let her know where the checkbook is. <laughs> Sometimes, man, if we just listen to our wives in this area, they have a better understanding of what it means to give and not be greedy. And you know, today might be a great day to start. When you honor your wife or honor your mother, why don't you spare no expense today to honor them? All the ladies said, amen. 
I took notes, man. He said, I, I took notes. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, what a challenge it is to live in this world by a different set of priorities. We're bombarded with every commercial. I'll watch the Warriors game tonight, and by the end of that game, I will have been told by 25 different organizations how I need something that they can offer me. And yet I'm trying my hardest to realize that I have one priority, and that is you. And I'm not trying to live on this earth and, and live it up in the temporal because I want to live it up in the eternal. There's a story of the parable of talents where, where God uh, tells a story about a master giving three servants talents. And he, and he disperses these talents and he comes back later and says, what would you do with these talents? And the first one says, look, I took it and I doubled it. The second one said, I took it and I, I had less than you gave him, but, but I doubled that. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the small endeavors, and I'll put you in charge of more. Then there's the third guy who comes back and says, I did nothing with it. I wasted it. I wasted what you gave me. It was a bore to me. I had no time, and I had no interest in putting time into investing anything into your kingdom. And he says, depart from me. Oh, Father, I want to be the good and faithful servant on this earth. Help me to prioritize you in this life. Help me to teach my children how to prioritize you in this life. That your name would be magnified because of me and not the other way around. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.